If you compare beer with bratwurst, and cheese with wine, or even whiskey, with donuts, then we think you can pair all of these delicious drinks with murder, conspiracies, missing persons, and more. Drink with us as you feed your craving for true crime and creepy stories. All right. So we cut that one at half. Now we're on part two of this, um, but still we're just recording on. We're on to our second beer now. Yes, which I'm very, very, very excited for because I would absolutely order this. Yeah, I know you would. Uh, you oftentimes do order a strawberry blonde. I love strawberry blonde, obviously. Yeah, so this one's Strawberry Fields, uh, Cricket Stave. We talked enough about them and whatnot at the beginning of last episode. Yes, and right before we started this one, we jammed out yeah. to some Beatles, Strawberry Field. Yeah, yeah. Um, Grace. It's so really good. <laughs> you mentioned that he was obsessed with the Beatles. Obsessed. And obviously he knew Beach Boys. Um, what, like... He fell in what, love with the Beatles in did prison. Did he do any, anything to try and get to know the Beatles? Not that, that you know I'm of? aware of, no. Interesting. It's so crazy that he actually like stumbled upon a beach boy uh, to the point that he was a, like, uh, I was reading, they did, they collaborated on music. They, they, like, I'm they sure they played had jam music sessions. together. They had jam sessions. Um, yeah. He lived at Dennis Wilson's house for months. Uh, See, it's like and this six is months where, or something, I think. So I like to pretend that I can like feel or like envision how these people are. And I think he was a complete poser the entire like the entire time he was there. Like he tried really hard to be on their level. He tried to be that musician. And after a while, I think he just couldn't. Like Manson was a lot of things. He's not, he's not the Beatles. He's not the Beach Boys. He isn't this talented musician. And I think rejection absolutely played a part into him just defiantly being like, fine, I won't be that, but I will be something else. And he absolutely became something else. And I think he played pretend for a while living at Wilson's home. And then. Yeah. Well, uh, one of his favorite bands was the Beatles. The Beatles. The favorite band of Charles Manson. Um, And one of their most famous songs, which is. I love that. Great song. Um, I was hoping you would sing it. Strawberry Fields forever. forever. Um, I would sing it, and <laughs> you mentioned it. And <laughs> now I'm, I'm not going to. That's okay. <laughs> Strawberry Fields forever. forever. Let All right. Me take you. I'm actually. Down. I'm not a huge beer fan, but strawberry fields. But I I would absolutely order this. And the can is adorable. It is. I like the strawberry field picture. Yes. Is that what you've been? Ten times a yes. It's like that's what I did with the IPA. Did you do I was, that? I, was I didn't like, even notice. I even mentioned it. I was like, it's like my my body knows I don't want this, so I let it just fall out of my like my face. He he doesn't want to drink some fruity beer, even if it's after a Beatles song. And he just got all over the front of his jersey. It just yeah, it spilled out before it even reached my mouth. No, nope, that's my jam right there. Now my jersey has strawberry fields on it. That's okay. All right. It's okay. Well, I have something that will make you feel better. 
Tell me about some really, Charles really Manson. grisly descriptions. Perfect. That's what I need. All right. So I need more of that. In my life. Strawberry Fields, a delicious beer, if I do say so myself, mm-hmm. is perfectly paired with some really horrendous things done at the bidding of a man who absolutely was obsessed with the Beatles. So on that fateful night in August, Tate Tex Watson. Tex. Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkle, and Linda Kasabian made their way to 150 Cielo Drive. Upon arriving just after midnight, making it actually officially August 9th, Tex Watson climbed a telephone pole and cut the phone lines, isolating the souls inside the home from any help had one of them been able to get to a telephone. Linda Kasabian would be left at the gate to serve as a lookout, while the other three Manson family members climbed a bushy embankment on the side of the entrance gate to officially make entry onto the property at Cielo Drive. They were convinced that the gate was like electric, like electrified, so they couldn't touch it. <laughs> Silly cult the members. Gate, the gate in front of the driveway. Yes. That would be great. Like somebody just lets their dog go up to it and pee on it and they get electrocuted. (laughs) The first encounter made by the Manson family would be with a young man driving an AMC Rambler, which is a type of car. Well, AMC made um, uh, the Back to the Future car. They also made Ramblers. What was it? I don't know. Down the long, he's going to look it up. I'm not. I'm just going to, I'm going to stew on it. Now, this person is driving down the long driveway away from the home. Tex Watson, who is armed with a buck DeLorean. knife. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't have a DeLorean, Jason. He had a buck knife and a pistol, which when combined could have been a bayonet, successfully stopped the vehicle. The driver, an 18-year-old named Stephen Parent, had been to the Tate residence to visit William Garretson, who was the hired caretaker who lived on the premises but in the guest house. Now, Stephen pleaded for his life, promising not to say anything. In response, Tex Watson slashed at the young man with his knife, cutting deep into the palm of Stephen's hand and completely through the band on the boy's wrist watch. Then Watson shot his first victim four times. These shots were heard by several neighbors, but nothing would come from that fact. Now, I'm going to be one of those people that are listening to this and just thinking about um, uh, Once Upon a Time... (laughs) Well, I'm going to tell you the true story. Now, Watson would cut a window screen to gain access into the Tate home. He then opened the front door to allow Atkins and Krenwinkel in. Upon entering, Watson would find Frykowski asleep on the living room couch. After being kicked in the head, Frykowski awoke. He opened his eyes to Watson, who at six feet, two inches tall, was standing over the man. When Frykowski asked him who he was, Watson replied, I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's business. Now, the girls, Atkins and Krenwinkel, moved throughout the house to find the others. 
Atkins would report as she walked down one hallway, Folger, who had retired to her bedroom to read, while Tay and Sebring talked in Sharon's bedroom, would actually smile and wave at the intruder as she passed, most likely believing that oh, Atkins hi. was just another visitor another to the home. Yeah. Now, Tate... Sebring and Folger would be forced. She's like standing there with a bloody knife. She's like, hey, I didn't know we were going to have more, but welcome. Here's a side, just real quick. I was going to talk about this. So Folger was the girlfriend of Frykowski who had zero jobs. Um, and he was heavily into drug use, got Folger into drug use. And while all this is happening, Folger is actually like actively trying to like get away from Frykowski because he's just a piece of shit. Excuse me. And um, they did, like, a blood test to see if they had, like, barbiturates and stuff in their blood. And, like, the one night it would have benefited her to be, like, high. She She wasn't. wasn't. No, poor thing. So they're all four forced into the living room. Now, this is something I did not know. Sebring and Tate would be joined together by a rope which had been tied around each of their necks. And then the middle part of the rope had been thread through a beam in the ceiling. The rope would be so tight that it actually caused rope burns on Tate's skin. Now, while Watson worked to tie up Sebring and Tate, Frykowski was basically useless, his hands having been tied with a towel. Now, during this time, Excuse me. Folger nice, nice. would be, it's a strawberry field. Mm. Folger would be taken back to her bedroom, most likely by Krenwinkle, to retrieve money from her purse, which would be given to the Manson family members. Now, Sebring, who protested to the way pregnant Sharon Tate was being treated, would be shot by Watson in response. So he's the first of the four to be killed. Shot in the head. No, the the shots don't kill him. So he's shot. And then Tex Watson would follow the gunshot with several kicks to Sebring's face. And then Sebring would be stabbed by Watson seven times. Tied to his former girlfriend. Most people believed that he was still in love with Sharon Tate, simply just biding his time until Polanski was done with her. Sebring would exsanguinate due to the stab wounds. So he survived. It's crazy. So he shot. The gunshot. He's kicked a bunch of times. He's stabbed a bunch of times. And he's tied to Tate the whole time. The whole time. So Tate is just being what? thrashed back and forth. Oh, I'm like, sure. Like, just awful. screaming bloody yeah. murder the whole time, too. Now, I think in response to realizing the reality of his situation, Frykowski is going to fight against the towel binding his hands. And once his hands were free, he made his way to run outside, but would be momentarily waylaid by a struggle with Susan Atkins. Now, Frykowski would be stabbed several times in his legs due to this struggle with the female. And I'm thinking he like knocked her down and she's like, just like grasping at straws, like trying to stop him. I mean, it sounds like a bad horror movie back in the 70s where like a dude is being stabbed by a little lady. And yeah, well, Folger seriously just fucking kick her in the fucking sternum and then run past her. Well, Folger, remember, who had been taken back to her bedroom to retrieve money to give to the Manson family members. She actually was also able to escape 
and she ran out towards the pool area, but with Krenwinkle in close pursuit. Now, Watson left Tate tied up to the dying, if not already dead, Sebring with Atkins to watch over her, and he went after the fleeing Frykowski. When Watson caught Frykowski out on the front lawn, his first mode of attack was to hit him 13 times in his head with his pistol, the force of which was so strong that it broke the gun grip. Holy shit. This grip would be found by investigators the following day. Now, as Frykowski, now bleeding from his legs because of the stab wounds, dizzy and confused from the multiple blows to his head, struggled to literally crawl across the lawn, trying to escape his attacker, Watson obviously would catch him and stab him more than 50 times, leaving his body completely bloody on the front lawn, where it too would be found the following day. Now, Folger, if you recall, who had escaped Krenwinkle, she's going to make it from the pool area all the way around to the front lawn. However, as she's running to gain her freedom, she's going to be caught and tackled by Krenwinkle. Folger would be stabbed by both Krenwinkel and Watson a total of 23 times, during which she would state, stop, I'm already dead. Now, inside the home, Sharon Tate, the beautiful 26-year-old, almost new mother, would plead for them to spare her, not for the sake of her own life, but just long enough so she could give birth to her son, who she planned to name Paul Richard Polanski. She literally offered them that they could take her hostage for two weeks and that after her son was born, they could freely kill her and she would not fight. To which Adkins would coldly reply, quote, woman, I have no mercy for you, end quote. Then Atkins would stab Sharon Tate in the chest and the back a total of 16 times. The flower pattern on the bikini-like bottoms would be almost indiscernible when Tate's body was found curled up in the fetal position, protecting her now-dead unborn child the following day. So they didn't take out the child? No. I feel like I've heard There that. were so many ridiculous rumors that took place. Yeah. And one of them was that they removed the child, but they did not. I mean, everything up until this point is literally from like a uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw had, Massacre type. Had someone called where, with regards to the gunshot wound, the gunshot noises, and officers somehow went to the Tate residence. If they had gotten to Sharon Tate within 20 minutes of her murder, they could have delivered the baby alive. But he would not, like, I survive. They, I always thought they no. took yeah. um, False. I mean, it doesn't matter, obviously. It, it was uh, another just gruesome uh, part of it all, but... Everything else is gruesome. Like it, it is literally like uh, the uh, just a horror movie where you get a chance to escape. You're almost there. Boom! Somebody's there. <laughs> when people ask why I run, this is times. why I run. 
<clears throat> so you can make I'm it past the yard. Because if I'm chased by Krenwinkel, I need to be faster than Krenwinkel. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Now, before leaving, Atkins would use Sharon's blood to scrawl the word pig on the front door. Then the four Manson family members just left. The devil's business seemingly completed. Now, when Winifred Chapman, Sharon Tate's housekeeper, showed up the following morning, she would discover the bodies and obviously call the police. Upon arrival, the police encountered a very alive William Gerritsen, who, if you recall, was the hired like caretaker for the property. He lived on the property. Yes. And he would be the first prime suspect. I even think they like arrested him, took him in, gave him a polygraph, which he passed. He's like, yeah, I killed all these people and I stayed here. And they did a whole bunch of experiments to see whether or not he would have heard anything that was going on had he been in the guest house. And they determined he wouldn't have heard anything. Supposedly, like TV on, music going. They actually, you mentioned it. You are just like, one point they literally he reported like i was listening to music and it was between volume four and five or something and they set the volume between four and five and at that he wouldn't have heard anything so like, there's nothing he could have ever even yes known what was going on out there now after releasing him investigators would have to look elsewhere for the culprit who had so brutally murdered these young beautiful people now the following evening which would be august 9th so the following Technically, they all died August 9th, so the evening of that day. Um, Manson, along with Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, we've got Krenwinkel, Kasabian, Van Houten, and another man named Steve Clem Grogan. They're going to drive around in search of more victims. That night, Rosemary and Leno LaBianca, who was the owner of a chain of very successful grocery stores, are going to return home to 3301 Waverly Drive in Los Angeles after spending a day with their grown daughter. Her name was Susan. Now, Manson, along with Tex Watson, they entered the LaBianca residence and tied both Rosemary and Leno up. Their goal, as per what they told the couple, was simply to rob them. Nobody would get hurt. They were just there to rob them. They put pillowcases over each of their heads, and they then fastened the pillowcases around their neck with lamp cords, leaving the lamps attached. Hmm. Now, after Manson basically cleared the house of any cash, specifically taking Rosemary's wallet, he is going to leave the premises before any murders actually take place. Once he's gone taking Adkins, Kasabian, and Grogan with him. Watson, Van Houten, and Krenwinkel are going to go into the home, and they are going to finish the job Manson had intended all along. Watson immediately began stabbing Leno, who was at this time like in a living room or some common living space in the home, while the two girls went into the bedroom to address Rosemary. That's where she had been taken. Now, Watson's attack on the 44-year-old was interrupted by yells coming from Van Houten and Krenwinkel. Now, their attack on Rosemary, the owner of a successful clothing store herself, was not going as planned. Rosemary had zero intention of allowing these two girls to do anything to her without a fight. 
So get this. As a defense mechanism, rosemary (laughs) takes the lamp, which is attached to the cord, which is around her neck, and she just starts swinging it about to deter these two women from coming at her. Now, while this worked, when she was being attacked by two women, it was not so effective once Tex Watson got involved. The three Manson family members would stab her over 41 times. Then Watson returned to stabbing Leno with a weapon that's similar to a bayonet. And before he was done, he would carve the word war into the flesh of Leno's stomach. In the end, Leno would suffer 26 stab wounds himself, and a knife would be left in his throat. Written in LaBianca's blood on the walls were the words, death to pigs, and the word rise. And the term helter-skelter would be written on the refrigerator door, once again in blood, but the phrase would be misspelled. (laughs) Good job. How do you misspell it? Like, put a C instead of a K? It's ridiculous. Then, once both LaBiancas were dead, the three Manson families showered in their home and raided their kitchen for a post-brutal murder meal. Jackasses. To get hungry. Murdering. Now, while the brutal attack of the LaBianca couple was taking place— Manson was taking Rosemary's wallet and he was leaving it in a gas station bathroom in a predominantly African-American community Mm. because how else would the helter-skelter race war begin? Did they do anything for the Tate murder to tie it to a race war? No. No, they didn't. We'll just kill them. It's enough. It's enough. They'll figure it out. And I almost think that... It has to be. We could give them credit and say, like, they were, like, crescendoing, right? They wanted to make people uneasy, followed up with this. It would get much more attention after the Tate murders. But the cops didn't tie the two together at first. (laughs) They did not, like, immediately go, oh, my gosh, these two really heinous murders are probably connected. You would just think the blood on a wall and both have pig in it. Yeah. Maybe they're the same. Also, the writing is probably the same. (laughs) That fall, Manson and his family relocated to Death Valley, where he and his followers would absolutely be arrested. Now, no, they're not going to be arrested for murder, but instead they're going to be arrested on suspicion of auto theft. Wow. Now, while in jail on those charges... Susan Atkins tells her cellmate that she was responsible for the (laughs) Tate murders. It was then that investigators began to connect some dots. See, hands gonna cluck. (laughs) See, earlier that year in July of 1969, weeks before the Tate and LaBianca attacks, a man named Gary Hinman was killed. At the location of his death, the words political piggy were written on the wall in Hinman's blood. Two weeks after his murder, Manson family member Bobby Boussoulet would be booked on Hinman's murder charges. Now, the Hinman murder was different from the seemingly random attacks on Sharon Tate, her guests, and the LaBiancas. 
Boussoulet, after engaging in several drug transactions with Hinman, would be sent by Charlie to inquire about some money that Hinman allegedly owed them because Hinman sold them some bad drugs. And in the end, Boussoulet is going to stab Hinman to death while other Manson family members watched. I feel like that was the, not not necessarily, but also maybe a little bit of a trial run for Manson, and yeah. but also to indoctrinate the others fully in. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, you're going to watch him do this. Yeah. And then you're going to be like, I can do that too. Yeah. Now, it was the similarities with the writing in blood, which added... One more reason why investigators pursued Manson and his followers as those responsible for those back-to-back attacks. In December of 1969, Manson, Watson, Atkins, Kasabian, Krenwinkel, they all were indicted on murder and conspiracy charges in the Tate and LaBianca killings. What tied them to Tate? Homegirl said it. And then I think that, that, yeah. And then Van Houten would be charged in the LaBianca slings. I think, to be very honest, I think Susan Atkins was like crucial. Like she just kind of spilled deep. Didn't she remain loyal to him even after? Yeah, they all showed up in their stupid blue dresses yeah. and their X's on their foreheads. And, like, and we don't have time faces, yeah, like, to talk about it. But yelling things. It's super fascinating what Manson still had his followers doing when they were being charged with murder and the death penalty on the line. Yeah. Speaking of the death penalty, all of those individuals would be found guilty and sentenced to death. However, when California abolished the death penalty, all of those sentences were um, transitioned over or commuted to life in prison. Mm. Now, Manson, to the day he died, was adamant that he killed nobody and he ordered nobody to be killed. I feel like a state that gets rid of the death penalty shouldn't commute to life in prison. They should, like, your sentence should be your sentence. Yeah, except when you say you can't because what if kill, they bring it back. You can't like, kill people because it's cruel and got unusual. Charles still. <laughs> well, Charlie Manson is going to live to be the ripe old age of eighty-three. I don't know he died somewhat and, recently, right? Like in November of twenty seventeen. Seventeen. While serving his sentence in Corcoran, California State Prison. Hmm. And it was like cancer i think right old, i don't know old man cancer something like that i don't know he was pretty old though yep so i'm about ready to finish this unless you have something to say not really i mean a lot of what i have to say we are going to take on on this next episode because it's uh i mean it's i'll say this it's very It's an interesting story because it's like most most of the time I hear about it, there's not a ton that is said or known about like what happens before the Tate murders. Like it's like Charles Manson is getting his groups together, he's getting his schemes going, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. he's got these people doing heinous murders, acting in barbaric ways. And But there's not, like, any known, this is how he did it. 
to get them to get to that point. Um, which makes me excited for our next episode. Um, that's the part I find the most fascinating is, uh, what happened between his gathering of his souls and to those murders. Cause those murders are done in a, I mean, it is the quintessential horror movie then and now where you have a ton of people fleeing for their life. Nobody can get away. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you manage to escape, you're going to make it to the door, but you ain't going to make it out. Right. Um, that's, that's the part I find most fascinating. And now it's, it's crazy. Um, and the fact that Charles Manson actually didn't pick up a knife and do anything. So go on. Charles Manson was irrevocably affected by the song Helter Skelter. And the opening lines to that song read, when I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide where I stop and I turn and I go for a ride till I get to the bottom and I see you again. So I just took you on one ride down the slide, telling you the facts behind Charles Manson, his family, and the crimes that made them all infamous. But what if I told you there might be more? It's time to go back to the top of the slide. And next time, the ride down is going to be very, very different because there might be something more to Charles Manson. Bastard. Twice divorced dad, failed musician, cult leader, self-professed Jesus Christ, convicted killer. And was Charles Manson and the murders at the Tate and LaBianca residence an example of when an MK Ultra experiment actually proved successful? And since we have the chance to do an MK Ultra Charles Manson crossover episode, I might just allow myself to be inspired by Manson's own words. According to Manson, if you're going to do something, do it well and leave something with you.